Episode 10. Blimey. Right, episode 10 of the Behind the Business podcast with me, Danny Champion. This is a music business, music industry podcast where I talk to anybody and everybody from the music industry about what they do in the music industry, but most importantly, why they're doing what they're doing in the music industry. This week, this podcast is my conversation at my flat in Manchester with Ray Pagden. Uh, Ray had very kindly come up to Manchester to speak to some of my students up here and took the time out to talk to me about his career and most importantly production music. His company Motus Music is doing really really well for themselves. He set that up on his own terms. He set that up back in 2016. Um, we talked about everything involved in production music and about setting up his own business and working with songwriters in this or somewhat underappreciated area of the business. So I will shut up now and if you are a songwriter, do listen intently to this. Production music is an amazing area of the business to keep your creative juices flowing as well as making some pretty decent money if you do it all correctly. So this is me and my conversation with Ray Pagden. You're the only person I know from university days that have got, that's gone into the production music area. Did you go into it because it was what was available or was it something that was interesting to you? Um, it was by accident. Okay. Um, which is probably how most people get into it because no one knows what it is until you do it. Well, would you say that is fairly standard across yeah, the board? Um, I know people in the that have been in the industry for years and when, like when we was advertising for staff, put out um, an advert for people who have had production music experience and we're getting people with 20 years of music production experience going, I can do music production, I'm perfect for the job. And they're not. And music production <laughs> being <laughs> engineering and, and, and making music yeah, and so working in the studio it, rather than... Um, and it's surprising just how many people don't get it. So um, Still today? Probably less so, but it's... It's definitely a niche part of the industry that people, even if people that know it's there, they don't quite get it still. Mm -hmm. uh, especially as people used to call it library music as well, and we've kind of, library's a dirty word now, so we don't call it that anymore. Why not? Um, connotations. So it's like when you talk about like, it has like this history of being naff music. So it's um, about quality. Yeah. So uh, a couple of years ago at the MCPS, we decided that um, we should call it production music because it's music made for productions, you know, so it gives it a bit more, um, explains a bit more what it's doing mm -hmm. as opposed to library music because it's like, well, a library of what? Books, you know, it's not. Yep. Um, so it was just a way of kind of making it, explaining what it was a bit more. Mm -hmm. So then, yeah, so we, we try not to say library anymore. <laughs> we, we try to do all the time because I've, I've done it for so long. But, so yeah. 
you've mentioned a little bit there, but I mean, what specifically is production music then for, okay. for, the, for the uneducated? Okay, so it's basically music specifically made for sync. So whereas commercial music is, its primary focus is to entertain people, production music is there to sit in a TV show or in a film or in an advert. Right. So that's the main difference. And then it's um, the licensing model as well, because commercial music is split up with record labels, probably multiple publishers, and production music is all owned by one company. So mm -hmm. it's straightforward licensing. That, that's the, the, the main difference. Yep. Yeah. Um, Has it changed in the time that you've been doing it? You've been doing it since uh -huh. 2010. Yeah. So in the um, eight years that you've been doing it? It's, it's the same. Yeah, I mean, that, that is what we're there. I mean, one thing that is, you do notice is that some people um, try to hide the fact that they're a production music company. Um, so they will make music that's, say, sounds like commercial tracks, but they're using the production music model of one stop. Um, so they'd be quite often members of all the um, like production music groups around the world, but they don't class themselves as production music because they're trying not to be seen as like this low quality music. In the eyes of who? Their clients, I guess. So if you, for example, that they'll have like someone who's like a singer songwriter make an album and talk to Tense purposes, it's an album that you could release on iTunes, mm -hmm. but they're actually aiming it at sync companies. So they don't want to devalue it by saying it's library music or production music because then in the eyes of my music supervisor, they say, well, then that's cheap music. They still want to get the big syncs rather than blanket licensing or okay. this is an alternative to a big hit. You know, they want it to come across as it's... But it would yeah. still be priced under the same banner as no, production if, music would be? or No, because if they're not an MC... If they don't license via MCPS, like the UK always... Well, not always, but like the MCPS licensing model is kind of almost unique to the UK. Mm -hmm. uh, in most territories, you do direct license, so you can set your own price. So would that be the case for your new company or the company that you used to work for if you did a license in America? Yes, yeah, so in America, say. we can charge whatever we want. Right. Um, and then they would pay us direct and we'd give them a direct license. Okay. But in the UK, we have to go via MCPS. Well, we don't. We choose to. And that's across the board? For, so would that be the same There's in France? Would that be the same in Germany? Would that be the most same? Most territories you can, you can direct license um, your sync. What prices are we looking at? Um, if you don't mind me asking. Yeah, so in the UK, um, so the maximum you'll get for an ad is about £10,000. And that would be all media worldwide. So it'd be radio, mm -hmm. TV online and that's via the mcps blanket yeah whereas or the mcps rate card rather yeah. so if if we take france yeah. as an example you'd probably get similar pricing so you you're still charging similar you can't suddenly go well it's now 80 grand or anything like that you you probably wouldn't get away with it. i don't think people would pay <laughs> if it's 80 grand they could probably get a commercial track what's the incentive to be part of the mcps rate card um it's the, it's not so much the rate card it's more to do with the the broadcaster blanket licenses because you get your um get your mechanical sync your 
um, sound recording sync and your sound recording performance uh, via the blanket license. Mm -hmm. So whereas if you do direct license, you're gonna, you basically, you usually end up having to charge less anyway because they're like, well, if I've got an MCPS license, I'm gonna pay more. So, so if we take the BBC as an example, yeah. if you're MCPS rate card registered production company, mm -hmm. production music company, yeah. then you will, whenever the BBC uses your your work, you will get paid that standard amount because the BBC pay yeah. their blanket amount. Whereas if you were a non-MCPS rate card, an audio network or anything like that, you're having to cut those deals yourself and probably charging less. Yeah, I mean, with someone like the BBC, I mean, you would actually have to charge zero because their policy is we pay the MCPS. We have this, you know, multi-million pound annual deal with them. If you want to earn a mechanical, you join the MCPS. So they just don't use anybody. They they doesn't. will use you, but it has to be on a, a zero sync, so that's, so they're not paying at all across the board. Across it's just board, free. Yeah. We've we tried. Well, so there was issues at MCPS a few years ago, and so we actually went to the music department at and the BBC, and we said like, if we left the MCPS, what is the deal? And they sent us. A, they said it's a standard like free page agreement, no fee. You know, we said if we're paying millions of pounds. We're not going to spend more money. That's fair enough. Yeah. So do you, do you reckon that there are production companies out there that that do hammer the BBC for work and are just happy for that? To kind of just say no, if we can yeah. if we can show that our music is on certain shows, we'll take the hit on a. Yeah, because there's I mean there's various models. I mean one of the models is you give it away for free in the hope that you get more usage to earn the performance. You know, people, some people are just looking to earn the performance income and not so worried about the mechanical. There's certain licensing issues um, at the BBC where they can't use MCPS repertoire. So if they're doing a co-production with PBS in America, um, although they can use the music in the UK show, PBS take the distribution rights and PBS don't have a license. Mm -hmm. So you, they then tend to go down the royalty-free route mm -hmm. or the buyout route. <laughs> How did you find working at Reliable Source Music? Um, it was interesting. Um, it got me into the industry, taught me about how this sector works. Quite interesting how the business model is very different from commercial music in that with commercial music you're making an album, you're promoting an album um, and you're trying to get as many people to buy or sync this album as possible. Whereas with library music you're trying to offer a service so that because you've got so many albums that you basically want to talk to people and find what do they need and then match them to something in your catalogue that fits so it's it's more relationship focused than product focused do you think it's do you think commercial publishers and record labels are kind of starting to steal that model slightly because most labels yeah. and publishers have sync departments now yeah. which are doing exactly the, the, that just with commercial but this is it, it it's it's how sync works generally. I mean, you, you don't approach a music supervisor saying this is my latest album. You kind of work out you what kind of do sometimes. Well, yeah, but you want to know what they're working on and kind of think, you know, is my heavy metal album going to fit with, you know, they're working on Desperate Housewives or something. Mm -hmm. you know, it's not going to. So, and that's kind of how we work. It's more like we find out what someone's working on and then we approach them and, and say, you know, ask either what they're looking for or 
maybe go with a ready-made playlist of stuff that we think fits their the TV show they're working on. And reliable source music specifically? How long have they been going by the, the time you, you joined? They was about 10 years old. Um, they, they wasn't doing great at the, the time. Um, yeah, I mean, they, they wasn't profitable when I started there. Um, but we kind of looked at, you know, what were the issues? Um, you know, what was we doing wrong? What was we doing right? Um, and just kind of changed the direction slightly to... Um, so you were sure in we a position to talk about what was what was being done right and what was being done wrong and kind of um, the, the process that you went through? Yeah, I mean, to, to start with, it was because it was, the focus was very product focused when I got there. So it was like, it was being run by someone that was from a record background. So we was putting out CDs and promoting um, albums. I mean, it, it wasn't, oh, that wasn't all we was doing, but that was, there was a heavy focus on that, which took time away from doing things that, you know, you could have been, spending your time better in other areas, mm -hmm. like the networking and the, the visiting people. And so a production music company can, in theory, run itself exactly the same as a record label, in so much as that it will have writers creating albums, those albums then get released, and they can be promoted. They're obviously you, being you promoted to different people. You do, but, but then you don't, you don't try and focus on one new release. Um, Especially as you're putting out so much, especially like you're putting out, say, three or four albums a quarter yourself, plus you're probably repping other catalogues in the UK. So you could be putting out 30 albums a quarter. So you're kind of really okay. promoting the catalogue every time you're talking to someone. You're, you're not really focusing on a specific release. Um, and that works better than if you've got a new release, like phoning everyone up saying, oh, I've got this new release, because it'll only fit certain people. Um, so you have to kind of either target your releases or, or just offer the general service and, mm -hmm. you know. I mean, the, the, way, the way we grew and the way we become successful was by just fulfilling the briefs accurately. So when you speak to someone new, if they explain what they want and quite often they don't explain it musically, you have to understand what they want and then yep. match that to a track. And if you do that well, your company does well because everybody's all the libraries have all the music, you know, there's every genre. Well, I was going to, that was what I was going to come on to next is that from my background in sync, if you don't own the thing that you really know that they're, that the end user is wanting, if you, if they want David Bowie yeah. and you don't own David Bowie, you can't give them David Bowie. Yeah. Whereas production music, all of the majors have their own production music houses. A number yeah. of the indies have, production music companies that are associated with them. There's an awful lot of independent companies that are all providing, for want yeah. of a better word, not necessarily the exact same music, because yeah. copyright still is involved and all that sort of stuff, but, but it's the same they're providing the same yeah. service. Yeah. And so you're competing much, much, much more directly with one another. Yeah, so yeah, so you probably find that you wasn't competing with other record labels because it was people coming to you with specific requests. Mm. Um, yeah. If you're Roadrunner Records, yeah. you're going to be the first place that people go to if they want yeah, so, heavy so rock music. I mean, we basically, we have two kinds of clients. We have the kind of clients that have a bulk email list and they'll say, I need 10 tracks in the XYZ style. And then you're probably one of 100 people submitting some tracks and you might get used you know, yeah. if, if, if you hit the brief and your track's right. 
Um, but then we have other clients that they come to you specifically as a person and they say, have you got anything that does this? Because they know that last time they asked for something, you hit them, you got the right music and they mm -hmm. know if they come to you, um, you understand what they're after. So you, depending on the type of client, you know, some of them are personal relationships that actually come to you because they want to use your service because, you know, they trust your expertise in your catalogue and they know you're going to provide what they're looking for. Whereas we've had feedback um, from some people and they say, you know, we email out to three or four catalogues and they could put some junior in who hasn't really learnt the catalogue, they don't really understand what we're asking for and they didn't, you know, the music was way off brief. Right. So when, you've, when you're competing as directly as production music companies are, it is much more about the people and their awareness and understanding of the, cat of the catalogues that they're playing yeah. with rather than trading off names or anything yeah, like that. Yeah, and understanding the client's needs. Because especially if they're not talking a musical sense, they say, oh, I want they something. They never do. Yeah. And, and so we, we have to translate that into what, 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 how does that match with our catalogue? Yeah. And who are the clients? Um, so we have a mix. Um, so the ad agencies, um, all the sync departments, all the, like the music departments in those companies. Um, are ad agencies using more production music these days? Not really. It's it's been quite static for a few years, um, and it's generally it's never going to be the big ads. Never um, to get a big ad once, but a few months back actually. But it was um, there was a commercial track playing for most of it, and they needed a, a two second dance track in the middle of the, the things that would switch and go back, and they probably <laughs> spent their whole budget on the commercial track, and they needed a cheap track for those two or three seconds mm -hmm. um, just to give the contrast. Um, smaller projects online will use production music, um, social media campaigns, um, anything where the the overall production budget is quite low. There is there an awful lot of stuff online these days? Yeah, and so it's... How many YouTube channels do you work with? We don't work with any direct, but we work with like the, agents, the brand's agency, so we can be doing like three or four briefs, one brand. Right, so it's still ad agency focus, it's just via their online content as opposed to their traditional media yeah, content you, and all that sort of um, stuff. So you're not working with any vloggers no, or no, we're just YouTube stars no, just yet? The, the fees are way too low. Um, you know, we're trying to concentrate on the, the bigger earning stuff where we can. Mm -hmm. um, so the other core client would be TV-based, um, where, where we're getting into TV shows. Um, background music for like current affairs, um, documentaries, kind of thing where they don't have a budget for a composer, so kind of mid-range TV, um, factual TV. Daytime? Lots of daytime, yeah. Love a bit of daytime. Yeah. What's, the, what's some of the stuff that you, we would hear, hear your music on these days? Um, we've done loads Homes of Under the Fire. Hammer. Years ago I used to work with Homes Under the Hammer a lot. Um, not so, not now. They kind of changed direction and went down the commercial music route for quite a while. Yeah, okay. Um, Found some cash. I think because they're blanket licensed, it didn't really matter True. to them. Um, but it's for them. I think it was a creative um, decision that they kind of use a piece of music where the lyrics go along with the joke of whatever it is that they're, they're talking about. Right. Um, they, they, it's kind of slightly cheesy, obvious music choices. Mm -hmm. um, 
Whereas we're doing better with the stuff where it's more background music, so where it's like instrumental piano stuff. Um, so it's stuff that you don't really have a commercial option to go to. Well, how did, let's keep, keep with RSM. Okay. How did they pick the music for their catalogue? How did they acquire that music? Uh, so there's a mixture. So some of the time it was feedback from clients. Um, so if there was ever, if we was getting asked for similar stuff and we didn't have it, we'd commission it. Um, sometimes composers would come to us with a ready-made album um, and if we liked it and we thought there was a market for it, we'd take it. Um, so it's all, all kinds of things. You never have any staff writers or no, anything we, we like that? we kept clear of staff writers on the basis that we didn't want the conflict of interest between people putting their own works above that of other composers. Right. Well, so not on the sales team, so we wouldn't have anyone on the sales team who was a, a composer because it was like, you don't want, you want them to pick the best track, not say, oh, I'm going to get some performance if I put my track forward. Got you. But your for instance your deals you'd have exclusive no never exclusive so yeah so yeah. no it's only have, we had a few people that only worked for us but not because they had an exclusive deal just because they was happy with, with what you us. were yeah. what you were dealing with them. um but we always <clears> talk there's certain composers where they're really strong in one genre and so for them it makes sense that actually they probably work with 20 or 30 libraries to maximize the chance of them earning uh, Do you reckon, is that fairly standard across the board? Are all production music contracts non-exclusive? Generally, yeah. How do production music contracts work? work? So it's usually a single song assignment or, right. or an album. We usually do it as like a, an album or your share of an album that's being put out. Mm -hmm. um, that's how we did it at RSM. That's how most libraries operate. Um, recently, since I started my own company, we do actually have a songwriter agreement um, that's ongoing uh, on a non-exclusive basis. So everybody who writes for us knows the terms and conditions of their next project because it's the same as the last one. There's never going to be a new contract. We can't mm -hmm. change the terms. Got you. So it's actually, I guess, more efficient doing it that way because you're not forever sending them a new deal for the new releases. Yeah. It's just the rolling agreement that you've got with the songwriter and then more songs just get added to... I just that one contract, yeah. So. Before you would you would resend out the same twenty page contract every time, and they would say they would read it, and you know nobody obviously does. But <laughs> but now we can just add one page um, with the list of new new tracks that are part of that agreement, and it's mm -hmm. just more efficient. Yeah. Okay, so non exclusive agreements. Yeah. What's the obligations or you know what are you expecting from them? There's no obligation. So somebody never writes another album, that's fine. Um, but then some people will write 10 a year. Mm -hmm. So we, we don't have any specific annual requirements from anyone. Um, it's just there for efficiency so that if somebody wants to work with us again. Um, it also puts some requirements on us, like it gives us, like if somebody does submit a track, we have 28 days to agree to it or not. Um, so the track isn't just sitting there in limbo with somebody chasing it up. Um, mm -hmm. So if we don't throw it in 28 days, they know they can take the track elsewhere. I was going to say, can they... Is that the only way that they can get those tracks back? So is there a, no, a retention it, it, they, on those? Are they in theory, perpetuity licenses? Um, we, we take them exclusively for life of copyright once we agree to it. Um, and once we send that 
one page are just confirming that we've accepted the track. So you have non-exclusive agreements with the songwriter, yeah. and then once they've submitted a song, that then gets signed up exclusively in perpetuity to your, yeah. for want of a better word, library of yeah. songs, <laughs> um, meaning that they can't then take that same song to another That's library, right, but yeah. they can write they different can write songs yeah. for other songs. Do you ever get any issues with sound alike copyrighty type stuff do you do you sit down now that you run your own business do you sit down and listen to other people's catalogs i don't um or do you have I, people i that don't want to be influenced by other people and kind of say or oh, can you make something that sounds like something say right um, but then you do you do get people coming to you saying oh, i've heard this on the tv i think it would be a good idea can i make an album for you um and i'm like well as long as it's the you're not ripping off the specific tracks, but you know, I don't know if, if they, if there's lots of good, like indie guitar being used all of a sudden. Right, and it's becoming for example, yeah. did you read up on, or did you follow what was going on with that use of music in New Zealand? Yeah, because that was actually our sub-publisher. Okay, um, lovely. So, so I know them quite well. <laughs> so um, yeah, I mean, when that happened, um, obviously they so if we kind of take a step back a bit, this was a piece of music yeah. used in a advertising campaign for the New Zealand government, or it was, it rather was, it was um, a party political, it, broadcast, political broadcast, yeah. and it used a song called Eminem-esque, That's I right, think, yep. and it was pretty much just the guitar line and hook from Lose Yourself. Pretty much, yeah. Or at least that's what the court said. Um, and <laughs> it was pretty much. <laughs> yeah. So, I mean, we, especially I when it's called Eminem-esque as well. This, this is, I think, what kind of you, they they couldn't argue it because of that, um, because you've clearly said this is the influence of this track. And um, so, although yeah, we wasn't involved in that. You know, that wasn't one of our tracks. We was told by the sub-publisher, look, going forward, do not use. I mean, they, they made a big plea, you know, do not make reference to any influences in, you know, to commercial acts, TV shows, anything in any of your names, any of your descriptions, any of your keywords, because it's just like you said, I've copied someone. And, and you yeah, know, and, but, you know, all music is, is influenced by something. Yeah, some yeah of way. course. But it's, it's when it's that deliberate and that obvious. Especially by an artist that is that litigious, who yeah. also doesn't actually let their stuff be used all that often in a commercial sense yeah. and for a, for a political broadcast, and, and, and all I, of it put together. And I think in that they had actually tried to license the original track, and I think that also... They said no, right. Yes. Yeah, so... That'll do it. <laughs> yeah, or, or you throw all that together, you, it was a done, easy case, I think. But is it something that production libraries have to deal with fairly regularly under the radar, so to speak? Yeah, we, when we sub-publish people, we sometimes, you know, hear things. It's like, well, you know, we have to ask them, like, what was this influenced by? So when you say when you sub-publish things, that's you as a UK library working with another yeah, so library like in New Zealand or Australia yeah. or Canada or so, anything so like that. So they'll send us the music. That, so we've had no creative input in it. Um, we don't own the music. We're just the... A local licensee and um, someone to flog it in this country yeah yeah um, but if there was a legal case they would come to us first so we do try and listen to everything and um, 
but at the same time we don't know every piece of music on the planet so even if you listen to something you can't no, 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 ever say, you know, but occasionally you think, oh, this does sound like, so, and you, you have to ask, and if you're not confident about pulling it out, you, you know, we have the right not to put it on our website. Well, just from, from my background with the whole thing of sound alikes and, yeah. oh, we'd really like this, but we can't afford it. Can we get yeah. something that sounds like this? Yeah. The world of production music, the world of bespoke songwriting is kind of littered with people and companies that are asked to do that yeah, and actually kind of try time. and do yeah. that regularly because it is a market that is out there. I, I was talking to someone at a, a networking event once and it was, they were making a TV show and they said, you know, we're not going to license any commercial music, but if we give you a list of songs, can you like make it the same but just change it? And I keep telling them that that's not how it works. You know, you can't just change it and it's a new piece of music. It has to be completely different and fresh. You can have the same genre, you can yeah. have, you know, the same, if it's a song, you can even have the same topical theme, you know, is it about love, is it about this, but we can't have the same bit of music just change a little bit. And <laughs> to people that don't understand copyright, they don't understand like the publishing in the background, they, they think you're just making a new recording, mm -hmm. which you, you, if you just make a new recording and licensing a recording, fine, but they don't get the, the, the you copyright in the background. Do you find that there's a lot of people so users of music who do not fundamentally understand intellectual property? It's got a lot better. Um, those kind of requests don't come in anywhere near as much as they used to. Right. Um, which is good. I mean, with the TV side of things, um, when you're talking to, say, TV editors and producers, those kind of people are really quite clued up on their, you know, what copyright stuff, because it doesn't just apply to music, it also applies to videos and pictures and stuff like that. So they're kind of educated yeah, yeah. in copyright in a, a more, general, it, it's kind of like the coordinators maybe a bit more, um, sometimes will come to us and, you, you know, think they can just have a, a reworking of a, a song on it, and it doesn't work. <laughs> So you run your own company now. Yeah. How's that going? It's really good. It's really scary. It's exciting. It's worrying. It's How long ago did you decide this is what you were going to do? Um, two years ago, I kind of ummed and ahed about it. Um, probably, probably about two and a half years ago, and I was like, um, I wasn't in a position to do it, and I was just like, that'd be nice, but it's not going to happen. And then about 18 months ago, um, I was lucky to be in a position where I could actually uh, leave work and um, not have to worry too much about money at the time. Um, had a little bit of freelance work that I was doing um, part time that kind of paid the bills. And I was like, you know, if 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 there's time to do it, I've got time on my hands, and I've got a little bit of money in the bank. And I was like, let's just give it a go. I made the announcement on Facebook and LinkedIn that I was leaving my old company and I'm going to go start up on my own. And um, a lot of the people I've worked with for the last, well, eight years now. So about six years clients rather than colleagues? Um, no, content owners. Um, so Okay, so um, songwriters. Owners, yeah, so um, as soon as I said I was leaving, like, people coming to me going, what are you going to do? Um, can I write for you? Um, people that owned catalogue were like, would you like to write my catalogue? Okay. Um, so one of the things when I, when I left was um, one content owner was out of contract and they've said, you know, I've worked with you for so long and you've always done a good job. Um, I want to stay working with you. Um, and so we 
started the company with a, an existing catalogue. It wasn't starting cold. No, and, and that's... Do you reckon that was a big it, selling point, that, do you that think? That really helped because it meant from day one we could go to clients um, and say we've got a catalogue of music instead of... You never thought about being albums. setting up like a commercial publisher? Or anything like that, or a record label. I was kind of trying, do... tr chancing your arm, using what you've learned in in the field that you were in, and yeah, doing it, something a bit. With Merrill Company, we had um, they had a sister company that did commercial publishing and uh, a label, really minimal. But you know, you learned, you had enough like hands-on experience to to do that. And um, I was going to do it, but I know this sector so well, um, and I enjoy this sector, and that's. I think that's the main thing, isn't yeah. it? It's that if you if you say you know it well, you think, all right, brilliant. Well, could you potentially use what you know and go somewhere else? But when you say yeah. something like you enjoy something, you tend to not run away from things that you enjoy. That that's it, and it's um, one thing that I find quite difficult in our sector is a lot of people use it as a stepping stone into the commercial publishing world, or mm -hmm. the, the, well, you know, commercial sync. Um, so there's not a lot of people. Um, especially if I'm my age and younger, that are doing this because this is what they want to do. They're doing it because it's a foot in the door to their long-term goals. Right. Do you think that's a problem for the sector? It's a huge problem um, because... Is it a problem that the sector is aware of? Probably not. Because <laughs> um, so you've obviously got, as, as we said earlier, you've got Sony, Warner and Universal have at least one production music catalogue each. Yeah. Sony have about four. Yeah. <laughs> uh, BMG have their own one. Imargum have their own one. Yeah. I don't think Cobalt, Cobalt don't, no. do. Then there's probably, but then, so those are the ones that are kind of associated with, you know, Dwarf have one, Yeah. I think. So there's a number yeah. that are associated with companies. So you kind of think, well, they'll be fine. You'd think to to a point, you know that there's yeah. you know unless Warner Chapel well, decide, should we cut our losses and sell this? It's attached to something that's going to have. But then there's hundreds and hundreds and hundreds of other independently owned companies that if they're not being manned, if they're not being run by people that want to stick around. What's quite interesting about some of those companies you mentioned is when I was saying my own company, I'm looking into getting um, bank loans and investors to help me build the company. So I've had to look into the finances of some of these companies one of those majors they're totally fire companies house and all that yeah. sort of stuff so it's really difficult to find in the independence because they all file small company accounts and yeah. don't get anything but uk turnover is double mine and i've only been going for a year which is quite worrying okay for a company so big um and when you look at some of these companies they have huge staff turnover issues so they yep. don't build the relationships um so they, 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 you know, they want to spend ages going out acquiring catalogue and that's how they built up their production um, music library was just by acquiring. They don't actually have their own branded one. Everything is an, an acquisition. So they're buying catalogues because the catalogues are doing well, but then they're losing the staff. And they are running it like a commercial publisher. Oh, this catalogue's doing well. It must be worth buying. <coughs> Take away the staff. Who's going to use that catalogue? So we're going back to what you said earlier about the fact that it's less about the music; it's m so much more about the the knowledge that the people have of those catalogues. It, it, it's a people industry, yeah. 
Well, not necessarily. I'm, I'm trying to differentiate between the relationship side, so the building of a network and the relationships, and the understanding of a of a catalogue. So you might have someone again who's worked in production music for a long, long time, but they've had a few years at one company, then they've moved on to a different company, then they've yeah. gone back to a different company, then they've moved into the commercial sector, then they maybe have come back. So they've still got the clients, they've still yep. got the relationships, but they've bounced around catalogues and they don't necessarily know the catalogue the that they're yeah. trying to sell. That's so, and, and this is what's more difficult about <coughs> music from a commercial catalogue is the catalogues are huge. I mean, we, we have 70,000 recordings um, and you know neither of us has the work they know the whole catalog yet you know that's just it, so your new company yep. that's been going for a year yep. has a catalog of 70,000 yep. songs because we've signed catalogs on license do you have a size in mind that you want to stay at or does that figure just keep on having ones um, and zeros added to either end of it it gets to a point where not so much that you hit too much music, but there's once you've got a certain amount, you've got enough. But for instance, I mean, yeah. would you get to, let's say, 100,000 songs, mm -hmm. and then every time you rework songs now, you'll actually remove songs that you're trying to... I don't think sell. we'll ever so, remove some, because like, when you do... Because like, you, you need a churn. You need, you need new you content need coming new content. in. Yeah. Whether so, or not you need that, you know. So you would, would you, once a year, look at what you have licensed and go, well... This chunk of stuff just has never been licensed, so could it be replaced? I mean, you won't ever lose it; it will still, still be there. Still, yeah. But I mean, we, it's not we, necessarily on the website. Yeah, so I mean, we speak. have a certain obligation to the the rights owners to to treat everything equally. So I think we would always keep it on the website. But um, you can make it so that newer stuff um, comes up higher in search results, um, so that you're always promoting the newer stuff. And then if the older music fits the brief um, you go to. I mean, some tracks don't earn for years. I mean, they can sit on your web website for 10 years before they earn any money. Right. Others can earn 10 grand in one pop. It's, it's and yeah. also it's really difficult to have, um, to predict what's going to get used. So mm -hmm. I had a conversation with someone, it was a job interview actually, and I spoke about a, a track which I described as factually crap. Um, and I was like, this isn't opinion. I said, this is an awful piece of music. Um, as in it's poorly recorded, uh, it's poorly as in, played. As in there's, nothing, there's nothing good about it, in my opinion. And I said, you know, it's not often I say a piece of music is... is a commercial piece crap. or... You know, this is a production music right. piece. And, I was, and someone used it. And I'm not sure if they used it ironically or, or what, but it got used and it earned money quite quickly. Right. And I was just flabbergasted. And yet we get tracks that come in and, and they sound absolutely brilliant and you think I could place that really easily. And you just don't earn any You just money. never get the opportunities. So it's really difficult playing that game of do I take stuff down because you just never know what the next request is going to be. I guess so, yeah. yeah. I guess it's you might as well just have it. But again, yeah. then, you're, then you're in that world where your catalogue just gets bigger and bigger and bigger and bigger and bigger and songs just kind of it becomes like become Google buried search. deeper you and deeper with, into it. Yeah, you, you do a search and you end up with hundreds of thousands of results and no one's going to sit there and go to page... 410 of your website for, for, <laughs> yes you know. um, and that's why kind of having a staff that understand the catalogue is quite good because so are you personally as the CEO and owner of a company now 
striving for as little staff turnover as possible. Yeah. You actually, you, you are actively running your business in a way that you want we, we, and need people there for, we for time. We only employ people who have been in the industry for a couple of years so that we know that it's something that you know they want to do. Um, they're not using it as a stepping stone. Um, we try and keep them happy, um, you know, just treat them better than they've been treated in their old companies. Um, it's difficult because I only have one, one member of staff at the moment. No, so but it's a, it's a process but it, but, but your company's well, only a year think old. About, yeah, I yeah. actively think about, you know, like what, from my experience, like what did I like, what did I not like? Um, silly things like expenses. So in my old job, I would go visit a client, put my hand in my wallet, pay for whatever, the travel, the hotel and everything, and then come back, do my expenses form, stick it in, get a check, a week later the check clears, and you know, so from the time you've probably spent the money till you got the money back is two weeks, and, mm -hmm. it, and it's just slow. And it was just one of those silly little niggly things. So I was like, stuff this, we'll get charge cards, so every member of staff will have a company card with a small limit on it, so they can just pay the expense, and at the end of the month, just write a summary of what was on there with a copy of the receipts, and they don't have to put their hand in their pocket. Okay. And I just think, that annoyed me. Little things like that yeah. go a long way to keeping the people so, happy, to keeping the people there and all that. Stuff. And I think having been on the sales team and then managing a sales team and then kind of running a library and then I, I've kind of had all the different levels of experience where I've kind of know what's annoying and what, what makes me happy. Yeah. So. Helps. Yeah. So it's silly little things like that. Um, you know, we just try and make sure that we support the staff. mentioned it previously there's a lot of competition yeah. in this sector at the moment yeah. what are the things that your company Motus Music now is doing to try and get your head above the water what are the the unique selling points that you're using what you know what are the techniques that you're are you just going right let's just keep those relationships going more or is it are there other te are there other things that you're playing around with at the moment? It's um, we've got in a, few, a competitive market. We've got a few tech things we're doing to be more efficient um, in the background um, to keep our costs down. It, but it's it's so relationship focused and it, it it just literally is about delivering the right song or the right track at the right time. Going on that the relationship focus side of things, do you continue, do you go right, we've got this core group of people that we know have worked with us in the past, that worked with us again, do we keep them happy? Do we build on those relationships? Mm. Or do you go, well, actually we need to be talking to a lot more of the industry because there's a lot more of the industry that we're not talking to. Yeah. So is it is it quality or is it quantity? It, 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 it's both. Um, so we, we, we spend time like trying to get recommendations um, because we want it to be quite organic growth. We don't just want to like get a huge database and start spamming random people we've never met before. Um, so we try and... Can you do pricing? In, well, you can't really, can we can't, you? We can't do any price. You can't, no, you can't do any bog off. You can't no, do buy one, get one free or anything really, like that. It's really frustrating when I'm doing business plans and stuff and like um, you get like a template and stuff and it's like all of these things that just don't fit in our business so one of the things is like can you do discounting pricing and it's like no but other, other some rivals can for example audio networks 
because they direct license, mm -hmm. although they have a rate on their website, if they want to do a discount, they can just say, yeah, okay, fine. Could you, in theory, I mean, you mentioned that in other countries, it's direct licensing. So yeah. could you, you know, do a bit of due diligence on the end user and think, oh, wait a minute, you've got an American office. Can you say, well, if you come to us, we'll do you a discounted rate on your, uh, from the American office if they come to us? Because the problem is it's where the music's placed that determines where the license happens. So if the edit happens in the UK, it has to go via the MCCS. Yeah, but yeah. what I'm saying is this, from, the, from a case yeah. of if it is, if it's, you know, if they've got an American equivalent and they're doing things, uh, you know, they're making content out there, kind of, yeah. you know, it's a way of well, then, using then we prices as a weapon then, and then stuff we can, like that. Yeah, then we can do that. I mean, the, the, <coughs> the thing we've got as a new company, we only have, uh, I think it's like 33 albums at the moment that we own outright, that, that, that's content we've created. Mm -hmm. So we are not actively looking at other territories to directly license into at the moment Just because we don't have the content for it. We have sub-publishers in most territories right. um, because they're big enough and, and that makes more sense. Mm -hmm. that if you're quite small, you have a sub-publisher and they have a big client base and you'll get bits and pieces used that way. Um, and we'll probably stick with that model for five, six, seven years at least right. um, whilst we're growing Pick the your business. Yeah. And all that sort of stuff. Yeah. <laughs> We spoke recently, well, not that recently anymore, but we spoke about your list of 10 things. I actually can't remember what they are. The list of 10 things somewhere. that all songwriters who should, who, who wants their music to be to used in production music. It's something um, that I, I talk to a lot of um, upcoming songwriters about the fact that they can earn money as a artist, they can earn money as a songwriter for other artists, and they can earn money as a bespoke composer and also in this area. So this is an area that all songwriters could benefit in. As you've mentioned, it's a um, non-exclusive agreement. You can have a publishing deal with Sony ATV and still cut agreements with with yourself for non-commercial stuff. Yeah, I mean, they, we have to be careful with um, people that are in exclusive uh, songwriters agreements because some uh, commercial publishers um, do let the writer carve out production music um, and some don't. Um, and I've worked with someone before who was allowed to do production music but was only allowed to do a certain number of tracks per year and stuff like that so you have to be quite careful um, there are more that. artists and mm. you know commercial artists and songwriters yeah. looking to do this sort of stuff aren't they because I know that you know, I mean Hans Zimmer's got his own production music fingers, company yeah. and all that sort um, of stuff yeah so <clears throat> what we're finding is that because all of the major music publishers own a library anyway that if they did want to do that, they would probably make them do it via their own library anyway. Yeah, that's fair enough. Um, so it's, it's when people are signed up to one of the, the indies, we just need to like confirm with them that you know, they are free to do yeah. so, or we wait to the end of their contract, and then we do something with them then. But your, 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 the list of 10 things. My, my 10 things of what never to do to yes. Ray. Yes, yeah. um, never to do to Ray. This was a long <laughs> rant, wasn't it? Okay, right.
I enjoyed it. I've used it, 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 in, it on, on occasions. Right. And this isn't, to be fair, some of these are actually things that I've had music supervisors say to me, and I was like, do you know what, I, I agree with that, but I never really thought about it before. Mm -hmm. So the number one is do not attach your music to a, an email. Um, it doesn't bother me a lot because, I, you know, now we have these huge inboxes where, you know, there's so many millions of gigabytes that it, it's not really such an issue, but it's, yeah, it's like if I'm on my mobile phone and I'm having to wait for a download with a poor signal or something, I, you know, just just send a link. Mm -hmm. um, it's it's simple, you know, have a SoundCloud or something, and it can be private. It doesn't have to be, you know, available to everyone. Or a Dropbox link that's, you know, it's so simple. Mm -hmm. um, don't bulk or CC or BCC. It's so annoying. Hi, here's my music signed Joe blogs or something it it's just it just gets deleted well I, you've I, already mentioned it's all about relationships yeah. and it works the other way around as and, well doesn't it and I'm very very open to receiving new submissions um, but just go to our website find my name um, and just say hi Ray I found your website I would like to submit some music how do I submit music or mm-hmm you know, build just, a relationship just, just be yeah. a bit more human yeah um, this this is one of my favourites don't <laughs> don't tell me you can do everything um, or everything or anything and I think and what I said to you was because I'll ask you to do a, a rap stroke opera crossover with a didgeridoo because <clears throat> everyone is really really good at something mm -hmm. um, and so I say play to your strengths it's like Everybody, I, I mean, half the emails that come in say, I can do everything, I'm really versatile. It's like, well, that's great, but you didn't tell me what you're good at. Yeah, you're automatically going to say, well, you're not going to be the best at any of that. If you can do yeah. a bit of everything, then, then actually I'm, I'm, I've automatically said, yeah. I've you're, automatically you're, thinking that you're not great at anything. Yeah, and that, that's exactly <laughs> what happens. Um, and, and so, yeah, don't... Do, I mean, by more means, say you're versatile, and, and if there's like ten genres you're really good at, or ten things you've done really well, then list them. You, you know, try and impress me. Don't mm -hmm. saying I can do everything doesn't because I can't do everything, and no one <laughs> can do everything. Um, okay, so well, the, well, four was um, just a, a, a carry on from that, because make make it clear what you enjoy doing, because I find that if you're enjoying the music you're making, you put more effort, more effort in. Yeah. Um, if you're making something just because you have to, um, it always comes across really rushed. Um, number five, and this seems so, so, some of them seem obvious. Make sure you know what production music is before you apply. You have already mentioned the amount of people that, that don't, don't understand. And it's like, I'm about to release my hip hop album. Can you publish it? No because that's not what we do or it, it, it's just people don't understand that we need you know 100% of the licensing or I've got the publisher will you be my record label and it's like we're not a record label mm -hmm. um, and I think people just go through a music directory and just grab every music company and spam them and, and very rarely any of these emails ever say hi Ray so it, it does feel again it goes back to the <coughs> just do a bit yes. of background checking. Um, <laughs> yeah, number six was just generally a polite introductory, respectful email. 
as a lot of people have said don't be a dick yeah um seven actually have some music i can listen to um i get lots of <laughs> lots of people that say i want to be a composer how do i um fine if that is your question how do i become a composer i'll tell you how you become a composer you go and learn to compose <laughs> but it's like if you've got a website with some music on send me the link um, I, I, I get so many of these I haven't got time to email you back saying can you send me a link it's mm-hmm. just just send it um, if you send a link don't make me type in a password no password protected things it's like I'm a professional I'm not going to share that link with anyone other than maybe someone else in my company whose opinion I'm asking for mm-hmm. um, you know and nine, which goes on from that, is don't watermark it because I said to you, I'm not a thief. I'm not going to steal their music. Mm-hmm. We're a professional music company. Um, I can understand, I understand that on certain websites where you sell sample packs and stuff, that you might watermark it to stop people just downloading it and putting it into them. But if you're sending it to a professional company that company, has a reputation yeah, to uphold and all that um, sort of stuff. Yeah, we. We, if we was stealing everyone's music, people would be suing us and, and we'd be bankrupt. So mm-hmm. um, don't do that. And, and the last one was, um, this is slightly unfair because we don't have it on our website, but a lot of people do, um, is go to the website of the people you're submitting to and see if there is a submission process. Don't email every member of staff on the website saying, I'm a composer. It's like, find who you need to speak to, or is there a guideline, or, I mean, I, I, I do your research. Yeah, uh, when I was at RSM, we had very specific guidelines, and that was you sending a CD. And the reason for that was because the CEO at the time piled them all up on his desk, and then once or twice a week, we'd open a bottle of wine, and we'd start putting them in the CD player, and listening to them, and the ones we liked, we got in touch with. A few people would argue with me, why can't I just send you a link? And I'm like, because the link doesn't play on the CD player upstairs and, and my boss is in his 80s um, and he doesn't want to click on a link on a computer. Don't argue like, with a policy, go along with the policy. Yeah, I mean, eventually we did get to the point where we was, um, if people sent us a link, we would download and burn it onto a CD. Wow, I mean, that's, that's going the extra mile. But, but a lot of people, you know, as, you've, as you pointed out, if it says on the, on the thing a CD, send a CD. If it says send a link, don't send a CD send yeah. a link it's it's exactly. do I mean, your research I mean, do, now, do your my due company, diligence it's like don't don't send me anything in the post i mean because it's 2018 yeah I, I haven't got space to store and we're not CDs. solicitors yeah um <laughs> but yeah i mean it, it, the old place if we if somebody did send an mp3 or a link or something and we actually thought this is worth submitting to the boss we would make the effort but that that was probably an exception mm-hmm. <laughs> What's the bit that you enjoy the most? Um, it's two things. I mean, meeting people is always good. Like going out and meeting new people. Um, I, although I don't do much sales side stuff now, it's nice occasionally to go out to a networking event where I know a couple of people and then they can introduce me to new people and just have a chat about random stuff you've watched on Netflix and stuff mm-hmm. and, and kind of and get to know some of your client base. Um, and the other thing is... I really like it's just when I hear something on the TV that I know we worked on and it's just like that feeling of success that you know you're, you're doing well um, 
I think those are the two things. Is the and the flip side. What's the thing you enjoy the least? Or maybe <gasps> maybe the um, thing that's the hardest. This week is really hard because we only get our royalties once every quarter, and so the two weeks leading up to that is like. I just get stressed and anxious because I'm like, how much money are we going to earn this? this <laughs> Can we pay the bills? Can we pay the staff? Um, that is the, the 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 most difficult bit is not knowing. You can't, you can't have cash flow projections because it's not like on iTunes where you're selling something, you can see how many sales are happening each week and then you can turn that into an estimated income in mm-hmm. three months' time. It's It just feels so random sometimes. So the, the the two weeks leading up to, to payday. <laughs> <laughs> nice. Cool. That's it. Cool. Massive thank you to Ray there for in taking the time out. Massive thanks to everybody who's been involved on these the first 10 episodes of my Behind the Business podcast. Um, hopefully there will be many, many, many more to come. There will be at least another 20 episodes. So do keep checking back. If you're interested in getting in touch with Motus Music, Uh, do check their website out. That's motusmusic.com and via all the various standard social media platforms at motusmusic for Twitter, Instagram, etc, etc. If you want to get in touch with me at the podcast, if you want to send any queries or questions in to me personally or any of the guests that I have had on or potentially will be having on, in future, do send me an email at behindthebusinesspod at gmail.com. Also, please do follow the podcast for updates and anything like that on Instagram at behindthebusinesspod. Thank you to everybody who's subscribed. Thank you to everyone who's followed, etc., etc. It's very much appreciated. Um, I'm really enjoying doing this. I hope you're, you're somewhat enjoying listening to them. Until next time, Christian Slayer.